Well, I'm assuming that most of you are not going to the Super Bowl. Is that a safe bet? We wanted to create a feel like you were in Lucas Oil Stadium, and so that's the window overlooking the skyline of Indianapolis, just so that even though you aren't going, you could feel like you'd been there. Fair enough? You know, we like to... Uh, we are a people who love predictions. We're always guessing this, we're always predicting that. I mean, just this last week, the official groundhog of the United States in Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania, all right, saw his shadow, and so we are to have six more weeks of bad weather. Seriously? A groundhog? An overgrown rodent has no business being a meteorologist, I'm here to tell you. But somehow it got caught up. Every year we predict the next six weeks after Groundhog's Day. And it's not just that. We, we talk about everything. We're trying to predict and second guess what's going to come down the road with the stock market and the future price of gold and the economic recovery. Just consider the questions about tonight's game. How many turnovers and fumbles will be committed? What will be the point spread? And who will be the ultimate winner tonight in the Super Bowl? Some will be close, close in their guesses. Others, I think, of us will be way off. And because of all the hype of the Super Bowl, nobody really has a clue. But that's life in general. No one has a clue about life. I mean, we act and we live as if tomorrow it's going to be the same as today, and, and a week from now will be the same as last week, and a year from now will be the same as last year. And yet, I'm here to tell you, nobody knows what the next day brings, what the next hour brings, what the next minute brings. In, in the blink of an eye, our lives can be changed, and our course of, of focus can be forever different. That's why. It's important that we have heroic faith to get us through those moments. By the end of the game tonight, somebody will be hailed as a hero. Maybe it will be one of the quarterbacks. Maybe it will be one of the kickers. Maybe it will be a defensive back in the secondary with a key interception at just the right moment in the game to turn the game in favor of their team. Who knows? But somebody will rise to the top of their game and make NFL hero history, and they'll be called a hero. Now, folks, I, I am looking forward to the game. I'm looking forward to the commercials in the game. It's going to be a fun evening. But to use the word hero in the context of a football game, no matter how exciting it may be, seems rather misplaced, doesn't it? I mean, what do you think of when you think of the word heroic? What image comes to mind? A secret service agent who steps into the line of fire to protect the life of a president? A firefighter who rushes into a burning building to save, uh, uh, to save lives trapped inside. A police officer who puts his or her life on the line every time they answer the call. Last week I saw the movie Red Tails, which is the story of the Tuskegee Airmen uh, of World War II, and I was reminded in that, in that great film, I was captivated by the film, but I was more than that reminded of the huge price that was paid by the men of the bomber crews and the fighter pilots of World War II to ensure that we have freedom today. Those are the people in my book who deserve the title heroic. But it's not just about putting your physical life on the line. It's also about the need for spiritual heroes. There's a great need for men and women who will live courageous lives of faith, who will step up and be men and women of character and integrity. Because you see, our world doesn't just need those who will lay their physical lives on the line, but those who will lay their lives 
spiritually on the line and stand for something that makes an eternal difference. Heroes of the faith come from all walks of life. We're inspired when we read of Bible greats like Moses and Deborah and David and Esther. But, you know, when you stop and think about it, few of us can relate to famous princes and judges and kings and queens, which is why I am so glad that the Bible is full of unsung heroes, men and women who are little noticed, and yet their lives are still inspiring us by what they did. And some of them, we don't even know their names. Sometimes the Bible doesn't give us that much information. It just tells us it was a man or a woman, a father, a mother, a, a boy or a girl, and we're left to wonder, who was this person? And you know, I think that God did that purposely because then each of us can relate to being an unknown in this world. And we can say, that could be me right now. Perhaps you too, like them, will rise to the top of your game and impact history forever because of the way you live out your heroic faith. Now, I want, I want to tell you the story of, of one of these people. It, it, it's a man, and, and I wish I could tell you his name, but the Bible doesn't record it. The story I want to share from comes from Mark chapter 9. And so if you've got your New Testaments with you, turn to Mark chapter 9 and follow along with me there. You can also find the story in Matthew's gospel and Luke's gospel as well. But I really kind of like the way Mark tells the story here. It is the story of a desperate father. And this father has a, has a, a boy. By the way, it is his only son. And from early childhood on, this boy has been plagued with the worst of circumstances. He is possessed by an evil spirit, by a de demon. Now, I know some people, when they read this story, they think, now, come on, really, Were, did, did, is there really such a thing as, as demon possession? I mean, could this have been some kind of a, a disease that caused convulsions, and, and they didn't know what to call it at that time, and so they just blamed it on evil spirits? No, I don't think so. When the boy was eventually brought to Jesus, if it hadn't been demon possession, Jesus would have said, this boy isn't possessed of a demon, he's just got an illness. I, let, let me deal with the illness. But Jesus didn't deny that it was an evil spirit. Eventually cast out the evil spirit. And you say, does that really happen today? I don't know that I've ever seen that. But I've talked to enough missionaries from other places around the world who have seen things that reflect very much this case. Remember, our enemy is much too subtle he works in ways that causes us to believe when we ought not to. And he knows when you're skeptical how to get around that skepticism in other ways. So I believe that the boy was plagued with demonic possession. So imagine the pain of this father. He loves his son more than life itself. He would gladly have traded places with his son if he could have. He's done everything within his power. I suspect he's probably spent every spare coin that he's ever earned to try and find some help for his boy. And he's even brought him to the disciples. He gets to the disciples before he gets to Jesus, and the disciples are perilous, are powerless to help him here. And so he comes to Jesus as a last resort, and he falls on his knees in front of the Savior. And, and this is how Mark's gospel tells the rest of the story. In verse 21, Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? Oh, from childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. Now listen to this. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. 
If you can, said Jesus. Oh, everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, Oh, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. This father in the story is so refreshing. I, I so appreciate his honesty. You know, he's just not really sure about this Jesus yet. I don't know what he knows about him, what he has heard about him, but listen, your students couldn't do diddly for me. I'm not sure you're going to be able to do anything for me either as their teacher. If you can do, if. Can you hear the desperation in his voice? Can you sense the urgency in his spirit? Can you relate to his confusion? about the whole ordeal? Listen, Jesus, I've spent my whole life messing with this and nobody can do anything. If you can, it's just that much faith that if you're my last hope. Ever feel that way? You're just not sure about God, that, that this whole thing is, is all coming together to make sense. You want to believe, you're just not sure if you can, and it's almost like, God, if you're, if you're there, Will you do this for me? The late George Carlin, comedian, said, <laughs> he said, I'm neither an atheist nor an agnostic. I'm an acrostic. It's all a puzzle to me. Are you an acrostic this morning? It's not that you don't believe. You're just not sure what to believe. It's, it's just all a puzzle to you. If you didn't grow up in church or you didn't grow up in a household of faith, it can be a tough process weeding out what you do believe and what you don't believe. But I'm here to tell you, now's the time to make some choices because that's the start of heroic faith. And when Jesus comes back to the man, his approach is so tender and kind. Jesus isn't indignant as if he were a celebrity that had been overlooked, if you can. He's not indignant like that. That's not the tone of his response. He's not angry because the man lacked faith. He doesn't go into a long lecture about the nature of demon possession as if knowing the background and history of such spiritual problems will somehow help the man's broken heart. He doesn't do any of that. I just sense this tender, compassionate response. If you can, oh, let me tell you. Let me tell you everything is possible for him who believes. And the man just erupts. Oh, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Here then is where heroic faith comes in. The father doesn't try to snooker Jesus with, well, really, Lord, I've been a believer ever since I was a young man. Or, how are you going to do this kind of a question? He just simply says, I'm weak. That's all I have to offer. Take me where I need to be spiritually. And Jesus does. Did you ever try to snooker God? You know, try to convince God that you're really stronger in your faith than you really are? It doesn't work. God knows you better than you know yourself. You, you just, just come clean with him. Just be honest with him. Just say, Lord, I'm not sure I've got much faith. It may be this size. It may be about the amount the seed of a mustard seed has. It's real little, but if you'll take me at that point and take me where I need to be, I'm willing to grow, Lord. Jesus responds with the perfect solution. In verse 25, it says, when Jesus saw the crowd was running to the scene, <laughs> isn't that just like the crowd? Hey, look, there's a boy convulsing over there. Let's go see and watch. Isn't that always the way the crowd is? Always rushing after some kind of a new, exciting, sometimes dismal scene. 
We all like to watch at the tragedies. That's why you ought not to follow the crowd because they're always going off after crazy things like that. Jesus saw the crowd rushing to see all the excitement with this convulsing boy. And he rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you come out of him and never enter him again. And the spirit shrieked, convulsed him again violently and came out. And the boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet. And he stood up and Luke and Matthew add the thought and Jesus gave him back to his father. Oh, I love that picture of Jesus restoring this boy down for the first time in his life, whole and healthy and well internally. The demon is gone and he has a chance at life like he's never had before. Can I remind you that the forces of evil are always bent on our destruction? That that's what the forces that are opposing God always want to happen to those who are the faithful. They want their faith destroyed. I don't know if you've ever heard the name of Paul Snyder before, but he was the first Protestant minister murdered by Hitler's henchmen. This inspiring German pastor would not compromise God's message and stayed true to his faith despite Hitler's threats and then subsequent beatings and then imprisonment at Buchenwald. And in July of 1939... He'd been in solitary confinement for a long time, and no matter where he was, even when he was in solitary and there was a guard standing outside his door, he preached about Jesus with all of his heart. And so in July of 1939, they murdered him with lethal injection. He was the first German pastor to be killed by the Nazis because he would not compromise his faith. You see, that's what the forces of evil always want to do they always want to destroy faith. But what they could not do was silence his testimony in 1939 because the story of Paul Snyder still speaks today to remind us that even when the darkest of moments come, it is heroic faith that gets us through. We may not win every battle in this world, but the ultimate battle has been promised a victory to us and it is us to stay firm and true through that time. Jesus heals the boy even though the man's faith is imperfect and doubt-ridden. It's just one more example of God's incredible grace. Sometimes somebody might say to you, well, you know, if you'd had more faith, you'd have been healed. Oh, really? Is, is my faith the answer or is it God's power and grace that's the answer? You see, God will take you where you are and lead you where you need to be if you'll just bring to him that little faith. I do believe. Help me, Lord, overcome my unbelief. Faith in life isn't easy because life isn't easy. And, and the longer we live, the, the older we grow, the, the tougher life can become in some ways. <laughs> just, just look in the mirror sometimes and you'll see how the ravages of time conquer. Wes looked at himself in the mirror and said, I look like the economy. He said, my hairline is in recession. My stomach is experiencing inflation. The lines on my face look like the ups and downs of the stock market. I feel way below prime, and it's driving me into a depression. <laughs> you ever feel like that when you get up and you look in the mirror that sometimes life is just not what you want it to be? And sometimes, folks, it happens right after you've experienced some great victory. Do you know what just immediately preceded this event? The disciples and Jesus had been up on the mountaintop and they had seen Jesus transfigured and they come down off the mountain just pumped. They think they can whip the world. And the first thing they're confronted with is this man with a boy who's got demon possession and the disciples can't do anything about it. You know, they're on top of the world and all of a sudden they face 
defeat. What do you do when that happens to you? Do you seize the moment and make something out of it? Or do you let the problems get you down and destroy you? Some of you will remember A.J. Moyer when he played basketball here for Indiana University. After IU, he went on to play basketball overseas. And uh, what you may not know is that A.J. was actually baptized here uh, at Sherwood Oaks. And um, I haven't talked to him uh, for, for a long time. And this week, I had a couple email exchanges with him in which he told me... Um, that last year he had suffered a stroke. And uh, I asked him permission to, uh, to share with you some of what he had written to me this week, and, and, and I just want to read this to you. Just, just think about this for a minute. Quote, You won't believe this, but I had a stroke last year and almost died due to a hole in my heart. They told me it truly was a miracle that I was able to play as long and so hard as I had. So at roughly 29 years of age, I knew I had a tough road ahead of me, couldn't walk, couldn't talk for months, but God just wanted to save me and make me whole again, and slowly but surely, here I am. A year removed, and yes, my career is over, but I'm as healthy as I've ever been. I actually coach basketball at Oaks Christian High School in Westlake Village, California, and it's through basketball that I'm still aiming to touch and bless so many lives. Hopefully, I can lead many to God and His mighty love He has for us. I love my Lord and Savior and count myself fortunate, honored, and blessed to serve a father so truly forgiving and so righteously loving, end quote. Isn't that a great testimony? Twenty-nine, you're on top of your, wor- of your game, you're on top of the world, and you have a stroke. A.J. Moyer could have just wallowed in his self-defeat and misery, and instead he took that difficulty and turned it into a challenge and rose to the challenge with heroic faith. I'm telling you, that high school is blessed to have him as their coach. What are you going to do with the tough times that come along? Seize the moment. When the challenges are there, set the bar high. Rise to new levels. Do your best. Say, God, I just have a little faith, but take me where I need to be. Now, I've got some big dreams that are setting the bar high, that are challenging us for the future. In December, I shared these dreams. A lot of you weren't there, and I've had people say, I missed that that day. Could you talk about these dreams again? And so I thought, okay, I'll talk about them again, and hopefully if you weren't here, you will hear them. And then I got to thinking, you know, really, that was back in December. I could probably preach the same sermon four weeks in a row, and a lot of you wouldn't know if I was doing that or not. So even if you heard these, all right, hear them again, because we need to be reminded of the challenge. Because this is what I'm talking, this is the heroic faith that I'm talking about. This is the challenge that we rise to. And here's the first one. I want us to pray like never before as a congregation. This as our 50th year. We're in our 50th year. 2012 is our 50th year as a congregation. So here's the challenge. I want us to pray 50,000 hours of prayer this year. And you say, oh my goodness, how, how in the world can we do that? Well, it really isn't that big of a challenge, except for the fact that I want all of us concentrated, all of us doing this. That's about 17 hours. If you, if you figure 3,000 people that come in and through these doors, that's, a, that's about 17 hours of prayer a year. Or somebody else figured up this way, that's 2,500 people praying three and a half minutes a day. 
I, I suspect most of you here pray more than three and a half minutes a day already. But here's what I want to do next Sunday. Next Sunday, I, I want us to, to sign commitment cards. And we're, and we're going to circle how many moments a day we intend to pray. And then we're going to talk about logging that so we can figure out how many hours for prayer. And here's the bottom line. If it doesn't happen with the prayer, the rest of what I'm going to talk about isn't matter anyway, because this has to be the foundation upon which we build the rest of the challenge. And so I'm asking you, all of us, not just some of us, but all of us, to step up and be heroes in the faith and commit ourselves to being a praying congregation like we've never prayed before. And the second one is to serve like we've never served before. I, I'm dreaming of this year that we'll give 50,000 hours of service right here in this congregation and 50,000 hours of service outside these walls in the community for Jesus Christ. Again, you break that down, that's about 17 hours of serving here and it's 17 hours of serving out in the community for the year or about three and a half minutes a day. Now, if you're already serving in the parking lot or you're working in the nursery or you're teaching kids or you're te teaching adults or you're, you're in childcare or you're doing anything around the building here, you're probably already doing more than three and a half minutes a day. If you serve an, an hour a week, you got, it, you got it right there. And outside these walls, you, can you not serve Jesus Christ three and a half minutes a day? Walk down the hall at work and talk to a coworker who's frustrated or discouraged and lift them up, encourage them a little bit. Stop by a nursing home on your way home from work and pop in to see somebody that you know is there but doesn't have very much company or somebody that you know and love and you just haven't stopped to see them for a while. There's all kinds of ways that you can do it. Three and a half minutes a day. Can you, serve, can you serve Jesus Christ that much outside these walls? Sure. But when we do it together, 50,000 hours, what, what an impact that could make. Who knows what that may do for the future? The, th the third one is I want us to give like we've never given before. And the goal is $5 million. That would pay off our church mortgage, which is a little bit over $4 million right now, and leave us with about $700,000 to, to be used around the world or in this community to make a huge impact in some particular area. And I'm excited about that. And then the other great thing about that is if we pay off the debt and our budget doesn't even change, we automatically have $400,000 in the budget to make to make great opportunities available throughout the year and say, well, what are we going to do with that money? we got a team of people already coming up with ideas. I've already got a list of ideas of things that you could use that for and never, never run out of ideas to make a difference in this world. Now, that's a lot. That's 1,000 units giving 5,000 apiece. That may be an individual giving five. It may be a family giving five. It may be a small group or a Sunday school class coming together to give five. It might be a youth group coming together to give five. It may be people saying, I can give a lot more than one unit. I'll give several units. Or, if you want to break it down this way, that's $3.50 a day. If you're in the habit of drinking one of those expensive cups of coffee, there you go. You see, when you break it down and when we all come together, when we do this with heroic faith, saying, Lord, I'm not sure how we're going to get this done. You know, I don't have a whole lot of faith, but I know you can take us to where you need us to be. That's all God is wanting us to do, to make a commitment to do our best, to be men and women of integrity. Amazing what God can do. Next week, we'll start with the commitment to prayer because that's the foundation for it all. Some of you are thinking, I, I, I'm kind of like the father in that story. I, I just don't know where I am. That's okay. Regardless of your past, you can change the future. Maybe you didn't grow up in a family of faith, but you can start now and raise your family in the faith. You can make a difference, and who knows how your faith 
may change tomorrow. You know what I suspect? I suspect that dad in Mark chapter 9 became a follower of Jesus to his dying day. Wouldn't you? I mean, you'd been everywhere. You'd spent everything. You'd done everything you could to find a cure for your son, and only Jesus could, and he didn't ask anything from you to do it, and, and he promised that he would help you with your faith. Wouldn't you follow him for the rest of your life if he'd done something like that for your son? The, 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 the truth is that he, Jesus has done that for us and more. Even though he took care of the boy and gave him a chance at life, that boy grew up and eventually died. But Jesus has promised us life everlasting and eternal. That's where the heroic faith comes in. You see, anybody can be faithful in the good times. It's what you do when you get knocked down over and over again. At just five foot 10 and 202 pounds, Walter Payton was not particularly a large guy as a running back in the NFL, but when he played, he was one of my favorites to watch. He was one of the greatest of all time. As a matter of fact, for several years, he held the record for uh, all-time rushing yards at 16,726 yards, and that is until Emmett Smith broke that record in 2002. That means that during his 12-year career, Walter Payton carried the football over nine miles. And then you've got to stop and remember that. That is with being knocked down every 4.4 yards of that nine miles. But he kept getting up over and over and over again, running with the football. That's life. You know, God's going to ask you to run through this life, but you're going to get knocked down about every 4.4 yards, and, and heroic faith is just keep getting up over and over and over again and saying, Lord, take me to where I need to be. There'll be times when you'll get tackled and beat up. There'll be times when you'll fumble the ball. There'll be times when it doesn't feel like the game is going your way. But great spiritual victories await those whose faith is steadfast and who never get up or never give up and who keep getting up to carry the ball forward. So who are the heroes of the faith today? I think I'm standing in front of them. I think you are the heroes of the faith today. Your name may not appear in some book or on some front page or in some magazine or something like that, but in my book, you're the heroes of the faith. You keep coming and coming, and, and despite some of the tough times in your life, you're here. Some of you are committed to being the best employees for your business that you can be because of your faith. There are husbands and wives here who are committed to their marriages and are determined to get through the tough times because of the vows they made before God and to one another in better, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and health, and they're going to stick to that. We've got single parents here who are raising their children to know and love the Lord, who are here when it would be so much easier to be at home, but they keep coming and they keep teaching their kids. They are heroes. We have spouses who journey to the nursing home daily to sit with a husband or wife who, because of their dementia, no longer recognize them, and yet they keep going because they are men and women of heroic faith. There are men and women in this congregation who are dying with incurable diseases, but who refuse to surrender to lousy attitudes, and so they just keep living as they're dying, and as they're dying, they keep pointing people to the living Christ. That's heroic faith. 
that's you. And I want you to start where you are and keep growing and keep moving upward and forward as God leads you because if ever we needed heroes in the faith, it's today. If you're not a part of the body of Christ, if Jesus Christ isn't your savior, maybe today's the day you begin that faith journey now. I'm asking you to become a hero of the faith by accepting him as your Lord and savior while we stand and while we sing, you come.